sometimes I wonder why I spent the lonely Welcome to Subtle Beast, everybody. I am your host, Foltz. With me, as always, my main man, my co-host, my brother from another mother, Mr. Steve Apostolopoulos. How are you, my man? I'm fine, Foltz. I'm fine. How are you? I'm great, as always. Great, as always. I'm excited about tonight's topic. I know I always say that, but I really am tonight, Steve. We got some really interesting things that we're going to be breaking down uh, some of the things that are talked about in tonight's episode, we've done full podcasts on. Uh, so if you're, you know, if you've been along for the ride, you'll pick up on some of these. Me and Steve definitely discussed them. But we're going to be talking about how to escape the confines of time and space. And this isn't just according to any old Joe out there trying to throw out some theory. This is according to the CIA. These are. This whole podcast has been broken down from declassified documents from the CIA on projects that they were running, explaining down to the very detail of how to escape the confines of time and space. Steve, does it get any better than that? It doesn't. And, uh, you know, I've been enamored with this information uh, for a while now. I've been reading it and just hanging on every word of it. I have never, ever seen this. This is amazing. Yeah, it's a blueprint. It really is. It's a blueprint that if you can follow these techniques in these different ways, according to this philosophy. Now, me and Steve, we haven't exactly tried it ourselves, but we've just been enthralled with this, that they break it down step by step in a declassified CIA document, how to escape the confines of time and space. And you know what that means. That means time travel. And... Everything good that comes along with it, but there's so much more than that. I think that uh, we should just get right into it because we got a lot of material to cover tonight, and I think you're all going to enjoy it. So, again, how to escape the confines of time and space, according to the CIA. Now, in the 80s, the spy agency investigated the gateway experience, technique to alter consciousness, and ultimately escape space-time. A classified 1983 CIA report on a technique called the Gateway Experience, which is a training system designed to focus brainwave output to alter consciousness and ultimately escape the restrictions of time and space. The CIA was interested in all sorts of psychic research at the time, including the theory applications of remote viewing, which is when someone views real events with only the power of their mind. The documents have since been declassified. This is a comprehensive excavation of the Gateway Process Report. The first section provides a timeline of the key historical developments that led to the CIA's investigation and subsequent experimentations. Now, the second section is a review of the Gateway Process Report. It opens with a wall of theoretical context, and on the other side of which lies enough understanding to begin to grasp the principles underlying the Gateway Experience training. The last section outlines the gateway technique itself and the steps that go into achieving space-time transcendence. I'm sorry if we don't have your attention yet. I mean, it's just going to get so much better. Now, what's the timeline like of all of these things coming uh, coming together? 
Well, in the 1950s, Robert Monroe, who was a radio broadcasting executive, he began producing evidence that specific sound patterns have unidentifiable effects on human capabilities. And these include alertness, sleepiness, and expanded states of consciousness. Now, in 1956, Monroe forms an R&D division inside his radio program production corporation, Ram Enterprises. The goal is to study sound effects on human consciousness. He was obsessed with sleep learning, or hypnodidia, which exposes sleepers to sound recordings to boost memory of previously learned information. 1958. While experimenting with sleep learning, Monroe discovers an unusual phenomenon. He describes it as sensations of paralysis and vibrations accompanied by bright light. It allegedly happens nine times over the preceding six weeks and cultivates in an out-of-body experience. 1962, the Ram Enterprises moves to Virginia and renames itself Monroe Industries. It becomes active in radio station ownership cable television, and later in the production of sale, in the sale of audio cassettes. Now these cassettes themselves contain applied learnings from the corporate research program, which was renamed the Monroe Institute. 1971, Monroe publishes Journeys Out of the Body, a book that is credited with, credited with popularizing the term out-of-body experience. So, 1972. A classified, a classified report circulates in the U.S. military and intelligence communities. It claims that the Soviet Union is pouring money into research involving ESP, psychokinesis, for espionage purposes. 1975, Monroe registers the first of several patents concerning audio techniques designed to stimulate brain function until the left and right hemisphere become synchronized. Monroe dubs the state hemisync, or hemispheric synchronization, and claims it could be used to promote mental well-being or to trigger an altered state of consciousness. 1978 to 1984, Army veteran Joseph McNoggle contributes to 450 remote viewing missions under Project Stargate. He is known as Remote View Number 1. June 9, 1983, the CIA report, Analysis and Assessment of the Gateway Process, is produced. It provides a scientific framework for understanding and expanding human consciousness, out-of-body experiences, and other altered states of mind. In 1989, 1989 remote viewer Angela De La Fora Ford helps track down a former customs agent who has gone on the run. She pinpoints his location as Low Wyoming, U.S. Customs apprehends him 100 miles west of Wyoming town called Lavelle. It's pretty good. 2003, the CIA approves declassification of the Gateway Process Report. 2017, the CIA declassifies 12 million pages of records revealing previously unknown details about the program, which would eventually become known as Project Stargate. Now, the report itself, the author of the Gateway Process Report is Lieutenant Colonel Wayne M. McDonnell. He's a hero referred to simply as Wayne. There is a tremendous amount of information available on the man. There isn't a, there isn't a lot of information on him, nor any photographs. In 1983, Wayne was tasked by the commander of the U.S. Army Operational Group, 
with figuring out how the gateway experience, astral projection, and out-of-body experiences work. Wayne partnered with a bunch of different folks to produce the report, most notably Idzak Bentoff, a very Googleable American-Israeli scientist who helped pioneer the biomedical engineering industry. Now there's a scientific approach. From the outset of the report, Wayne states his intent to employ an objective scientific method in order to understand the gateway process. The various sci scientific avenues he takes include a biomedical inquiry to understand the physical aspects of the process, information on quantum mechanics to describe the nature and functioning of human consciousness, theoretical physics to explain the time-space dimension and by means which expanded human consciousness transcends it, classical physics to bring the whole phenomenon of out-of-body states into the language of the physical experience and remove the stigma of an of occult connotation. Now, the, the methodical frames of reference. Before diving into the gateway experience, Wayne developed a frame of reference by dissecting three discrete consciousness altering, altering, meth, altering methods. He's basically saying there's no way you're going to get through the gateway without a solid grounding in the brain-altering technique that came before it. He begins with hypnosis. The language is extremely dense, but the basic gist is as follows. The left side of the brain screens incoming stimuli, categorizing, assessing, and assigning meaning to everything through self-cognitive, verbal, and linear reasoning. The left hemisphere then dishes the carefully prepared data to the non-critical, holistic, pattern-oriented right hemisphere, which accepts everything without question. Hypnosis works by putting the left side to sleep, or at least distracting it long enough to allow incoming data direct unchallenged entry to the right hemisphere. There, stimuli can reach the sensor and motor cortices of the right brain, which responds to the points in the body. Suggestions then send electrical signals from the brain to certain parts of the body. Directing these signals appropriately, according to the report, can elicit reactions ranging from left leg numbness to feelings of happiness. Same goes for increased powers of concentration pretty deep it, it's deep and getting deeper i mean that's probably the best uh breakdown of what hypnosis is i love that breakdown of hypnosis here comes his breakdown for transcendental meditation he distinguishes it from hypnosis through concentration the subject draws energy up the spinal cord resulting in acoustical waves that run through the cerebral ventricles to the right hemisphere where they stimulate the cerebral cortex run along the homo nucleus, and then to the body. The waves are then altered rhythm of heart sounds, which create sympathetic vibrations in the walls of the fluid-filled cavities of the brain's ventricles. He observed that the symptoms begin in the left side of the body, confirming the right brain's complicity. Bentov also states that the same effect might be achieved by prolonged exposure to 4 through 7 hertz per second acoustical vibrations. He suggests standing by an air conditioning duct might also do the trick. Third thing here after transcendental meditation is biofeedback. On the other hand, this uses the left hemisphere to gain access to the right brain's lower cerebral motor, and sensory cortices. 
Whereas hypnosis suppresses one side of the brain and transcendental meditation bypasses that side altogether, biofeedback teaches the left hemisphere to visualize the desired result, recognize the feelings associated with right hemisphere access, and ultimately achieve the result again. With repetition, the left brain can reliably key into the right brain and strengthen the pathways so that it can be accessed during a conscious demand mode. A digital thermometer is subsequently placed on a target part of the body. When its temperature increases, objective affirmation is recognized and the state is reinforced. Achieving biofeedback can block pain, enhance feeling, and even suppress tumors. That's awesome. That is. So uh, there's mechanics that are involved, the gateway mechanics. And with that, Wayne takes a first stab at the gateway process. He classifies it as training system designed to bring enhanced strength, focus, and coherence to the amplitude and frequencies of brainwave output between the left and right hemispheres so as to alter consciousness. What distinguishes the gateway process from hypnosis and TM and biofeedback is that it requires achieving a state of consciousness in which the electrical brain patterns of both hemispheres are equal in amplitude and frequency. This is called hemisync. And perhaps conveniently, what is that? Layman, layman till. And perhaps conveniently, I can't read my own handwriting. Sorry. We cannot, as humans, achieve this state of our own. The audio techniques developed by Bob Monroe and his institute. Here, the document shifts to the uses of quotes and other reports to describe the powers of the hem- hemi-sync. Wayne employs the analogy of lamp verse versus a laser. Left to its own device, the human mind expands energy like a lamp in a chaotic and incoherent way, achieving lots of diffusion but relatively little depth. Under hemisync, though, the mind produces a disciplined stream of light. So once the frequency and amplitude of the brain are rendered coherent, it can then synchronize with the rarefied energy levels of the universe. With this con- connection intact, the brain begins to receive symbols and display astonishing flashes of holistic intuition. Now the hemisync techniques take advantage of frequency following response, or FFR. It works like this. An external frequency emulating and recognized one will cause the brain to mimic it. So, if a subject hears a frequency at the theta level, it will shift from its resting beta level. To achieve these unnatural levels, Hemisync puts a single frequency in the left ear and contrasting frequency in the right. The brain then experiences the delta frequency, also known as the beat frequency. It's more familiar more familiar referred to these days as the the binaural bi- music bi- binaural music right steve <laughs> yep, it's just like binary code like yep. ones and zeros with the ffr and beat frequency phenomena firmly in place the gateway process introduces a series of frequencies at marginal audible subliminal levels with the left brain relaxed and the body in virtual sleep state The conditions are ideal to promote brainwave outputs of higher and higher amplitude and frequency. Alongside some liminal suggestions from Bob Monroe, the subject can then alter their consciousness. Now, the gateway system only works when the audio, which is introduced through headphones, is accompanied by the physical quietude comparable to other forms of meditation. 
This increases the subject's internal resonance to the body's sound frequencies. For example, the heart. This eliminates the bifurcation echo, in which the heartbeat moves up and down the body seven times a second by placing the body in a sleep-like state. The gateway tapes, like meditation, lessen the force and frequency of the heartbeat pushing blood into the aorta. This result is rhythmic sine wave that in turn amplifies the sound volume of the heart three times. This then amplifies the frequency of brain output. The film surrounding the brain, the dura, and fluid between the film and the skull eventually begin to move up and down by 0 .0005 and 0 .0110 millimeters, which is drastic change. Very much so for the brain. The body, based on its own micro-motions, then functions as a tuned vibrational system. Now, the report claims that the entire body eventually transfers energy between 6.8 and 7.5 hertz, which matches the Earth's own energy of 7 to 7.5 hertz. The resulting wavelengths are long, about 40,000 kilometers, which also happens to be the perimeter of the planet. According to Bentoff, the signal can move around the world's electrostatic field in one-seventh of a second. Now, let's just recap. The gateway process goes like this. You get into an induced state of calm. Your blood pressure lowers. The circulatory system, skeleton, and other organs begin to vibrate at 7.7.5 cycles per second. Increased resonance is achieved. The resulting sound wave matches the electrostatic field of the Earth. And the body and Earth are similarly tuned minds becoming a single energy continuum. I, we got to pause here just to commentate for a second. Yeah, of course. So what he's saying is you're going to, and they use these great in-depth uh, explanations and definitions, but basically you're going to go into a meditation. That's what it is. Yep. You you're gonna, gonna, but there's different levels along the way that you have to be able to get yourself to. You go into this really deep meditation, and then as certain things occur inside your body, the frequency of the energy that you emit becomes uh, equal. It equalizes with the frequency and energy that the earth emits, and you become one with the earth. That's exactly what it's saying there um, with the world's electrostatic field. And when you do that, you can tap into these energy lengths that are 40,000 kilometers long, and your energy can be traveling around the world in one-seventh of a second. That's how you get into this meditative state that we're going to talk about for the rest of the show. Right, and it just it transcends time and space. Now, Steve, we go a little psycho-quantum level deeper. Why don't you bring us into that? I love this part. Wayne then turns to the very nature of matter and energy. More materially, solid matter in the strict construction of the term. He explains, doesn't really exist. The atomic structure is composed of oscillating energy grids surrounded by other oscillating energy grids at tremendous speeds. These oscillation rates vary. The nucleus of an atom vibrates at 10 to the power of 22. A molecule vibrates at 10 to the power of 9. A human cell vibrates at 10 to the power of 3. The point is that the entire universe is one complex system of energy fields. States of matter in this conception then are merely variations in the state of energy. 
The result of all these moving energies bouncing off of the energy at rest projects a 3D mode, a pattern called a hologram, a.k.a. our reality as we experience it. It's best to think of this as a 3D photograph. Suffice it to say, the hologram that is our experience is incredibly good. It's depicting and recording all of their various energies bouncing around creating matter. So good, in fact, that we buy into it hook, line, and sinker, going as far as to call it our life. I, I mean, it's like Steve was saying in, in pre-show when we were reviewing all of our information. That's basically the definition of physical life right there. It is. It is. It's the perception of physical life. It's these energy grids that are on top of each other bouncing around. Which you could, one could argue, is the matrix. <laughs> one could argue that. You know? Consciousness then can be envisaged as a 3D grid system superimposed over all energy patterns. Using mathematics, each plane of the grid system can then reduce the data to a 2D form. Our binary, go-no-go, zero-and-one minds can then process the data and compare it to other historical data that we have saved in our memories. Our reality is then formed by comparisons. The right hemisphere of the brain acts as the primary matrix or receptor for these holographic inputs. The left hemisphere then compares it to other data, reducing it to its 2D form. In keeping with our species' commitment to exceptionalism, as far as we know, humans are uniquely capable of achieving this level of consciousness. Simply, humans not only know, but we know we know. This bestows upon us the ability to duplicate aspects of our own hologram, project them out, perceive that projection, run it through a comparison with our own memory of the hologram, measure the difference using 3D geometry, then run it through our binary system to yield verbal cognition of the self. Wow. So it, it just keeps getting more interesting, so I'm, I don't even want to stop for commentary there. Now this next one's called the click-out phase. Wayne then shows his cards as a true punisher, issuing, up to this point, our discussion of the gateway process has been relatively simple and easy to follow. But now the fun begins. What he's preparing the commander reading this heady report for is the reveal. How can we use the gateway to transcend the dimension of space-time? Time is a measurement of energy or force in motion. It is a measurement of change. This is really important. For energy to be classified as in motion, it must be confined within a vibratory pattern that can contain its motion, keeping it still. Energy not contained like this is boundaryless and moves without limit or dimension to infinity. This disqualifies boundaryless energy from the dimension of time because it has no rate of change. Energy in infinity, also called the absolute state, is completely at rest because nothing is accelerating or de decelerating. It therefore does not contribute to our hologram, our physical experience. We cannot perceive it. But now back to the frequencies, wave oscillation occurs between a when a wave is bouncing between two rigid points of rest. It's like a game of electromagnetic hot potato, the potato being the wave and the participant's hands being the boundaries of the wave. Without these limits, there would be no oscillation. When a wave hits one of these points of rest, just for a very brief instant, it clicks out of space-time and joins infinity. 
For this to occur, the speed of oscillation has to drop below 10 to the power of 33 centimeters per second. For a moment, the wave enters into a new world. The potato simply disappears into a dimension that we cannot perceive. Now, theoretically speaking, if the human consciousness wave pattern reaches a high enough frequency, the clickouts can reach continuity. Put another way, if the frequency of human consciousness can dip below 10 to the power of 33 centimeters per second, but above a state of total rest, it can transcend space-time. The gateway experience and associated hemisync technique is designed for humans to achieve this state and establish a coherent pattern of perception in a newly realized dimension. That's really the trick. I mean, I want perception in a newly realized dimension. Then you have to be able to dip below 10 to the power of 33 centimeters per second. Done. (laughs) (laughs) So, passport to a hologram. Now, what does that mean? In theory, we can achieve the above at any time, or what we were just referencing. The entire process through is helped along if we can separate the conscious from our body. It's like existential running ahead, running head start, where the click out of the consciousness already separated from its body starts much closer to and has more time to dialogue with other dimensions. Now, this is where things get a little slippery and weird. Now, the universe is in on the whole hologram thing, too, Wayne writes. This super hologram is called Taurus because it takes shape of a spiral. The pattern of the universe conspicuously mirrors the pattern of electrons and the nucleus of an atom. Galaxies north of our own are moving away from us faster than the galaxies to the south, and galaxies to the east and west of us are more distant. The energy that produced the matter that makes up the universe we presently enjoy will turn back in on itself eventually. Its trajectory is to avoid, also known as the cosmic egg. As it curls back on itself, it enters a black hole, goes through a densely packed energy nucleus, then gets spat back out the other side of a white hole, and it begins the process all over again. Now, the entire universe hologram, the Thoris, represents all the phases of time, the past, the present, the future. The takeaway is that human consciousness brought to a sufficiently altered state could obtain information about the past, present, and future, since they all live in the universal hologram simultaneously. Now, Wayne reasons that all of our, that all, that our all-reaching consciousness eventually participates in an all-knowing infinite continuum. Long after we depart the space-time dimension and holograms, each one of us perceives is snuffed out, but our consciousness continues. That part reminds me of a DNA strand, that spiral that they're talking about, and the electrical pulses that are going through it, the past, the present, and the future. Yep. That's exactly what that that envisions. So right there, that that first part right there was breaking down basically all the physics behind it, really. But now what we're going to get into, which Steve will kick off for us, is the actual technique itself. So the following is an outline of the key steps to reach focus levels necessary to defy the space-time dimension. This is an involved and lengthy process, best attempted in a controlled setting. If you're in a rush, you can apparently listen to enough Monroe Institute gateway tapes in seven days to get there. The Energy Conversion Box The gateway process begins by teaching the subject to isolate 
any extraneous concerns using a visualization process called the energy conversion box. Resonant humming. The individual is introduced to resonant humming. Through the utterance of a protracted single tone alongside a chorus on the tapes, the mind and body achieve a state of resonance. The gateway affirmation. The participant is exposed to something close to a mantra called the gateway affirmation. They must repeat to themselves variations of, I am merely a physical body and deeply desire to expand my consciousness. As Fultz said before, hemisync. The individual is finally exposed to the hemisync sound frequencies and encouraged to develop a relationship with the feelings that emerge. Additional noise. Physical relaxation techniques are practiced while the hemisync frequencies are expanded to include pink and white noise. This puts the body in a state of virtual sleep while calming the left hemisphere and raising the attentiveness of the right hemisphere. The energy balloon. This is an important part. The individual is then encouraged to visualize the creation of an energy balloon, beginning at the top of the head, extending down in all directions to the feet and then back up again. There are a few reasons for this. The main one being that this balloon will provide protection against conscious entities possessing lower energy levels that he or she may encounter when in and out of body state. Focus 12. The practitioner can consistently achieve sufficient expanded awareness to begin interacting with dimensions beyond their physical reality. To achieve this state requires conscious efforts and more pink and white noises from the sound stream. Tools. Once Focus 12 is achieved, the subject can employ a series of tools to obtain feedback and alternate dimensions. Now, the next one in line. Well, before we go on that, I just want to comment on the energy balloon because that one was really cool. So I don't if you've ever like uh, witnessed any type of uh, psychic readings or anything like that, you know, I've seen I've seen some done, and they'll typically start off by saying that they, you know, they're going to surround themselves in a white light and protect them because it's saying that you need to be protected against entities possessing lower level energies, which could come in the form of like demons or whatever, so something resonating at a lower frequency, which you don't want to encounter, and then basically have take over you and you bring back to this physical body of yours. So there's some problem solving involved. The individual identifies fundamental problems, fills their expanded awareness with them, and then projects them into the universe. These can include personal difficulties, as well as technical or practical problems. Now, there's patterning. Consciousness is used to achieve desired objectives in the physical, emotional, or intellectual sphere. Steve's favorite, color breathing a healing technique that revitalizes the body's energy flows by imagining colors in a particularly vivid manner. This was because when we were in wrestling, Fultz and I wrestled together uh, high school, and actually junior high and high school. Um, so one of the techniques is when you're in the middle of a match, uh, sometimes you're, you're put into pain or you're trying to be aggressive, and you're, you're actually thinking in the color red. But what the coach has told us is to not think in the color red because that will cloud your judgment and the next move that you're going to throw will be not as effective as it could be if you were thinking in the color blue. If you're thinking in the color blue, it actually makes your 
makes you cooler. It makes the moves more efficient that you're about to throw. And it really changes. And I've done this many times, visualized what my next move is, what the counter move is to the person that's throwing a move on me. And I've done it in blue, and it's, it truly does work. It sets you at ease, and it provides clarity. Um, if you're ever doing any type of uh, presentation, I know I've done tons in, uh, over the past, and using a whiteboard, the key was always to use a, a, a blue marker because whatever you're talking about will help set people at ease. They'll be able to accept and be able to, uh, to identify with what you're talking about, and it'll keep them engaged as well. The energy bar tool. You want me to take it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Energy bar tool. This technique involves imagining a small, intent, intensely pulsating dot of light that the participant charges up. He or she then uses sparkling, vibrating cylinder of energy, formerly known as the dot, to channel forces from the universe to heal and revitalize the body. Remote viewing, a follow-up technique on the energy bar tool where the dot is turned into a whirling vortex through which the individual sends their imagination in search of illuminating insights. And the living body map, a more organized use of the energy bar in which streams of different colors flow from the dot onto the corresponding colored bodily systems. Seven days of training has occurred throughout these techniques, and approximately 5% of participants get to this next level. Focus 15, travel into the past. Additional sound on the hemisync tapes includes more of the same, plus some subliminal suggestions to further expand the consciousness. The instructions are highly symbolic. Time is a huge wheel in which different spokes give access to part, different parts of the participant's past. It's, it's that that's access to, to the time travel. Focus 21, the future. This is the last and most advanced state. Like Focus 15, this is a movement out of space-time and into the future. Out-of-body movement. Only one tape of many is devoted to the out-of-body movement. This tape is devoted to facilitating an out-of-body state when the participant's brainwave patterns and energy levels reach harmony with the surrounding electromagnetic environment. According to Bob Monroe, the participant has to be exposed to beta signals of around 2,877.3 cycles per second. So the conclusion of all this is when Wayne expressed concern about the fidelity of the information brought back from out-of-body state using the gateway technique, practical applications are of particular concern because of the potential for information distortion. The Monroe Institute also ran into a bunch of issues in which they had individuals travel from west to the east coast of the U.S. to read a series of numbers off of a computer screen. They never got them exactly right. right. Wayne chalks this up to the trouble of being able to tell the difference between physical entities and extra time-space dimensions when in the out-of-body state. Wayne swings back to support mode, though, lending credence to the physics foundation of the report. He cites multiple belief systems that have established identical findings. These include a, the Tibetan Shaug, the Hindu heaven of Indra, and the Hebrew mystical philosophy, and the Christian concept of the Trinity. Here he seems more interested in hammering home the theoretical underpinnings that make the gateway experience possible. 
rather than the practical possibilities promised by the gateway tapes. Now, possibly with his CIA top brass audience in mind, Wayne then gives an A minus nod to the gateway experience for providing a faster, more efficient, less subservient, energy-saving route to expand consciousness. This finishes with a series of recommendations to the CIA for how to exploit Gateway's potential for natural defense purposes. But here's the kicker. When all the, when all the documents were declassified, there just happened to be one missing page. One curious feature of the Gateway report is that it seems to be missing page 25. And it's a real cliffhanger, too. The bottom of 24 reads, And the internal thought or concept of self, which results from its self-consciousness, serves the... And stops. The report picks back up on page 26, and three sections later, as if Wayne hadn't just revealed the very secret of existence. The gap has gone unnoticed. There's been petitions requesting its release. Multiple Freedom of Information Acts requests have demanded the same. In all the cases, the CIA has said they had never had the page to begin with. <laughs> now, do you think that that's just a coincidence that the, they left out the very page that was going to be able to have you do this? They can't have you doing that. Yeah, they, they, they kind of give you everything except for that one little missing link there. Yeah, it reminds me of a, a great series that was out. They did two series called The OA where these kids had to do these five movements. And if they did them correctly, you could transfer to a, a different dimension. But if you didn't have all the moves, you couldn't. Some of the moves would do some things. Like if you had like moves one and two, you could heal, things like that. Uh, but if you didn't have all of them, you couldn't go to another dimension. So just like that, you need all these steps. You need to learn them all. You need to have them in sync. You have to be able to have them relate to one another before you can go on to the next phase. And then basically, you're just resonating at, at, at the same vibration of the earth. And you can transcend your body and go to anywhere in time, into the past, into the present, and even into the future. The, this Lieutenant Colonel Wayne M. McDonnell is really, I mean, the Bob Monroe Institute put it, put it all together, but the way that he, because he's the author of the process, the way that he explains this information is just as scientific as you can get. Yeah, I mean, just nailed it down. Be like, these are the steps. This is what needs to take place. This is the, where your body needs to resonate at. And it, it adds credence to the whole process. And also one of the cool things about this is, this this uh, report was created in 1983. We were here, like yeah, we were alive. I mean, I remember 1983. Yeah, and you have to tend to think that. And I mean, if the CIA was delving this deep into it, I mean, there was 12 million pages released on the topic, declassified. Uh, they weren't just like, eh, didn't work. You know, they took page 25, redacted it completely out of the. Uh, out of the declassified material so that they wouldn't have half the population going around and transcend. Because if you could go back and visit the time uh, in, you know, in an out of body experience, you could check in on all the corruption and you might even be able to have proof of it. Be like, ah, the proof that they were this corrupt is here in, in this part of the world. And all you got to do is go and get it and find it and expose it. There ain't no way. That the government, especially deep state, is ever going to allow that to 
to happen. They can't have us resonating at a higher level than they are because then they lose. I really love the part about remote viewer Angela DeFloria Ford when she helped track down the former customs agent that went on the run. She pinpointed the location as Lowell, Wyoming, uh, but then he was apprehended 100 miles west of Lovell, Wyoming. So she she got it almost right. She got like the only thing that she was wrong about really was the half of the W. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, because by the time they apprehended this guy, he probably could have traveled 100 miles. What's that, an hour and a half? So from the time she gave him this information, they're all suited up and they go out there. They appre- And customs agents apprehend him 100 miles from where she said he was going to be out of anywhere. One of the things I didn't like was when Wayne said that they were traveling from the East Coast to the West Coast, not physically, but um, in the other dimension. And they were looking at a computer screen and reading a set of numbers and then bringing the information back. And he said that that they never got the numbers right. And what I was telling Fultz in pre-show was, if you went from the west side of this room to the east side of this room and read me some numbers, odds are I'm getting them wrong a lot of the time. Right. And I'm trying to – I have to bring this back from some other dimension in, in, in the past or in the future. And like Steve said, he said the best way to probably do it would be to have them recognize symbols. Like you come back and be like, it was a triangle, a square, and a circle. Like, yeah, not – it was one nine eight four three one. You know, yeah, he made this. He made the test too complex. If it was, um, what do you remember? I remember a star. Boom, you got it. Yep. Okay, send them back out. Oh, this time it was a couple of wiggly, wiggly lines. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be getting electric shocks. It's a Ghostbusters reference. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, this is. I mean, if if there was anything down that you could actually access that describes what time travel would be in its most purest form in my opinion because if you think about uh, all the the sci-fi where you get in a time machine and you go back and all the events that you, you can't interact with because you don't want to change anything or it, or if you're not changing anything anyway because when you got in this machine it took you to a different timeline this sidesteps that and is actually saying that you're going to be able to access not only your past, but the past of anybody, but you're just viewing it. So there's no way for you to mess up anything because you're just an observant, which I always thought would be the best way of time travel. That way you don't come back and you're not you. And Well, you don't touch anything. You don't have the ability to touch yeah. it. And Fultz does. He said that the whole way through. Every time we talk about time travel, he said it'd be great if you could just view it. Yeah. That's all you really need to see anyway. I mean, interacting with it it would be just so foreign like in movies they're like okay i'm from the future all i gotta do is put on some clothes from the past i don't think it's gonna be that easy they're gonna be like what is wrong with this guy this guy's gonna be he, he's insane Somebody, he's out of it yeah he's talking about things like and i saw him pull this contraption out of his pocket and he was looking at it like you know your current day cell phone which probably wouldn't work in the past but you still have things on it and it would just blow people's minds but if you were just an energy of consciousness that was able to observe, you could still retain information like we were just talking about in the experiment. You bring home the information. Oh, it was a star. I saw a star. You could bring back small pieces of information. You wouldn't be able to bring back an entire set of data points, but you could bring back one or you know as many pieces of information as you could remember. But there again, the, the trouble with that is 
if you overload yourself, you think you can remember five pieces of information, you do have to travel through a dimension to get it back here. And when you get back here, you're risking the corruption of data. So maybe you don't remember those five things and you would have been better off just with that one piece of information that you bring back. Yeah. And it, 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 it's almost like because we're seeing everything in a, in a three-dimensional world, but from this view, it would be more like like the fourth dimension because, you know, for us, we can see everything that's around us and uh, we can and, and we know of other places like in, in, where, where the studio is. You know, there's an there's an upper floor, two upper floors. Um, we know they're there, but we can't see it. But what if we were seeing in the fourth dimension, not only could we see me and Steve sitting here in the studio, we'd be able to see everything that's going on throughout the whole building. And that that would be the fourth dimension. Like insects only can see in, 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 in 2D. So, like, if a, if there was a caterpillar walking or or like a ladybug, and you took a pen and you drew a line, it's gonna stop because to it, this big thing just came out of nowhere and just blocked it. Was just can't even believe it. And if, ideally, if you would draw like a circle around it, it would probably, if it could fly, it would just fly away. It'd be it would be information overload. It's a good way to describe it, folks. So. <clears throat> That's what we have on being able to uh, transcend space and time in pretty laid out detail. Uh, we tried to keep it as simple as we could, simple as you can dealing with uh, you know, all these different types of physics. But um, it's better than having to have you go out and, and, <laughs> and read the declassified documents. Now, I'm not trying to say me and Steve went through 12 million released documents because we didn't, but we researched it. We put together what we thought would be the best information to try and break it down in the simplest of terms. And I thought it was cool. It's a super cool topic. And I think that the, the audience is going to really appreciate it. I'll ask you this. Um, if you've ever had an outer body experience, get a hold of me. Uh, get a hold of Foltz. Let us know what your outer, uh, your out of body experience was and uh, what, how it made you feel what you saw, what the, the criteria and the details are around it. Maybe we'll have you on the show. Yeah, you can email us at uh, subtlebeastpodcast at gmail.com or you can, uh, I, I believe we still have a, an Instagram page out there that hasn't been added to for a while, but um, that, that, that was due to the fact that um, our Facebook information was stripped down. It was taken away from us. So we must be onto something because they completely erased us from existence there. But for some reason they kept up our uh, Instagram page, but we'll have to get back out there and posting on that. But yeah, if you ever had any of these experiences, if you're ever part of any of these projects and you want to share and we can keep your identity uh, a secret, we can disguise your voice. If you want to come on here, reach out to us, send us an email at subtlebeespodcast at gmail.com and we will investigate. Yeah. So, well, that's all I have. That's all we have, and we hope you enjoyed it. And until next time, I'm Foltz. And I'm Steve. And we'll see you next time. Take care of one another. Bye-bye.